All right. Good morning, church family. How are you? I'm going to need the kids to come up before I wreck the whole thing. Walk quietly. Don't get too close. Don't stand back. Stand back. Don't touch anything. I'll be doing this the rest of the day. That one doesn't want to stand up. All right, so come around front. Oh, sit down. You can talk. How are you guys today? Yeah, we have a lot of people gone today. A lot of vacations. Uh, Carol's out. My son, Adam, is preaching at Life Church, and so Carol and, and uh, my mom are there giving him a little more support. But I also notice there's a lot of other people are either gone or on vacation. But God brought you here today. I am so glad. And we're going to talk about this. I know something about you guys, even before I met you, even before you came, because I know it about all people, we do things that are wrong. Sometimes even you guys do things that are wrong. In fact, we call that sin, right? We call it sin. You guys have heard that one. I know you guys have heard it because you come to the Kids' Jam. We talk about it, but what we have to recognize is that In the end, all the things that we do wrong, we're really sinning against God. Now, some things we do, I don't know, you guys, some of you, a lot of you guys can't read yet. Some of you maybe can. But there's different things here that sometimes we do. And and we sometimes when we do wrong things, when you do something like mean to your brother or your sister, it hurts them, doesn't it? But it also hurts God. And why do you think that's true? You know why it hurts God when we sin? Because God made us and he made everything so he gets to set the rules. So when we break the rules, even when it's against someone else, it actually hurts God. And it hurts God because God knows that our sin hurts hurts us. So when we recognize that when we sin, even if it's against someone else, that we're actually sinning against God, then we recognize that God is really the boss of all things. And we need to go to him to say we're sorry. And you know what's so great about that? You know, sometimes if you do some bad things to other people and you hurt their feelings or you make them mad or maybe you hurt them, that they won't forgive you. But God says, if you come to me and ask me for forgiveness, every single time I will forgive you and cleanse you and make you clean. That's really something, isn't it? Yeah? That's right, forever. Your dad's a smart guy, isn't he? He, Yeah, he teaches you some really good stuff. And your mom. Very good, that's right. 
Okay, so here we have some things. Disobeying your parents. Do you think that's bad? No. Yeah, trust me, it is. No, I know. <laughs> yeah. So if we do that and we disobey our parents, oh, it leads right back to God. And here one says, being mean to your friends. What do you think about that? Yeah, being mean to your friends is bad, isn't it? And it hurts your friends, but guess who also it hurts? God. And then over here, when you're lying to your teacher, you said, well, I really did my homework, but I forgot it at home, only you didn't really do it. Yeah. I don't know that your teacher's really hurt, but yeah, it's bad. And so when you do that and you lie, that also hurts God. And so... What we talked about are two important things. Number one, because God is God and he made everything, he decides what's right and wrong. And then two, we can always go to God, even when we've done something really bad, and ask for forgiveness, and he forgives us forever. Just, just like that's forever. All right, thank you guys so much. You can head on down to your church service downstairs. I was petrified I was going to knock that over. I set it up earlier in the week, and I actually had to build a custom box to cover it up. Oh, my, I have so many thoughts swirling around my head, but I need you guys to do something for me. Where, is there, where's our camera, Bill? Up there. I need you all to stand up and turn around and face the camera. And you're going to say, Hi, Julie Orr and her son, Ryan. Hi, Ginny Jaluz. Hi, Connie Picklesheimer. Hi, Nadine Riley. Hi, Karen and Dave. Hi, Don Little. Okay, now you can turn around, sit down. See, those guys are actually part of our family, and they can't be here all the time, but they watch. I know they watch, and I want them to know how much we love them and how much we miss them here, but they're still part of us because that's the way the family works. When you're even not here, I missed uh, our, our buddy Mark, and he was gone, and I, I couldn't get a hold of him on his phone. I thought, oh, my goodness, is everything okay? And I was so overjoyed to see him when he came today. So, yeah, you guys, I miss you guys, and, and I love you, and it's nice to be here. Um, so many things are, are rattling around in my brain this morning, and some of them I just have to get out. I guess that's kind of how my mind works. Um, hopefully I have a filter, but um, there's just a lot of things. So Ron came by my office today, uh, this week, and we talked for about an hour. It was really great. And uh, he reminded me of a couple of things, and that is one of them, we're, we kind of inherited this model, and I understood what you're talking about, that, you know, we put so much emphasis on, on, on the preaching part. And, and if, you know, get into it, and today, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how long it's going to be by the time I get done saying everything God's given me to say. But let's just say I go for an hour, 
And you think, well, we're only here for an hour and a half. And, and, and if it was an, even an hour, that's like a big emphasis on just the sermon. And is that, you know, what, what is it that we're here trying to accomplish? Now, I get that. We, we want to hear the Word of God because the Word of God is transforming and it's, it, it's supernatural transforming. But it, this is kind of like a sound bite of, of that. And so tr- clearly, no matter how long I preached, even if I preached a couple hours, that would not be enough time in God's Word for the week. It wouldn't. You need to have a personal relationship with God's Word because if you want to be transformed, which is one of the major reasons why we're here, it's, it's the transforming power of God's Word that's changing you back into the image of Jesus because He's giving us some things that we're going to talk about today. He is giving us what He wants, and He's giving us who He is, and He's giving us promises and hope that there is an end to this and that the next phase is so much better. Okay, so we need all of those things, and you are not getting it from me in 45 minutes on Sunday. You're going to get some. Bill and I talked right before the service about this whole process, and I spend a lot of time in the Word during the week, and it is so enriching for me. But then i got to consolidate all that down into this small soundbite of things that I'm hoping, hoping, will resonate with you and you'll bring it home with you and it will change you a little bit. But, I mean, I, I got to think back and I, I honestly, and so I, we were doing um, our gospel community group and, and we do, we go over the sermon. So I would be taking notes in the sermons. Even when Ron was here, I would take notes. But I got to be honest, you know, usually by Wednesday, I forgot everything we talked about. But this is not enough, you know. So I think, back and I look at this and I say, it's important to come to church and hear the Word of God. No question about it. God's Word is transforming, and it. it's a gift from Him to us, and we need to take full advantage of it. But you know what is so great? You know what is so great? You're here, and God's here. You're here, and God's here, and this is a family. And in this family setting, God transforms us. Now, pre- preaching is important, but, it, but, but it's not the main thing. The main thing is is that God's here and you're here. And so I, I look out and I see what, what we don't want, and, and I'm so encouraged, but also I want a little convicted. Um, we don't want to be consumers as Christians. And we, sometimes we think about our church experience as like, okay, I come and I really do need to be fed, um, but I'm going to come and I'm going to consume and then I'm going to go out and then come back and consume again next week. That's not what families do. I don't know about you. I don't know about your family. But if they just said, hey, hey, you just go back in your room and sit there. We'll bring you all your food and we'll clean up your clothes and we'll do all this. And, and then just come. Thank you for being our part of our family. And, but no responsibilities and no consequences. That's not how it works. And so I look out and I saw, I hate to do this because it robs people's blessings possibly. I saw this week people loving on one another. And I saw Shane Baker and Matt Missile helping the Rileys on their roof in the heat. And it was long. It was hard. And I, and I look at that, and I am so blessed to see that my family is building itself up during the week. And it isn't just about Sunday, because Sunday is just not enough. It's not enough. If this was your only experience praying and worshiping and, and, and reading the Bible, it's not enough. 
because it's a family, because we're not consumers. And so here we are. So thank you, Ron, for that. You got my mind going, and I just had to say that. Um, because we're, we're stuck in this, and, it, it, and we get this model of how we do church, but, but, but it's so easy then to think in a, in a mindset of a consumer that I'm just going to come and someone's going to talk at me for 45 minutes. But, but that's, not, you know, that's not the relationship that you really need with the Word of God. You don't need to just hear it from me. Now, I, I really do enjoy good sermons, and I listen to them on the radio, and I listen to other you know, pastors speaking, and so I know you can get something out of it. But, but don't let this be your only relationship with the Word of God. Be in, be in His Word every day. You need it. You need it to be transformed. You need it to be encouraged. You need it um, just for the promises. So that, just, that was part of it. Now, yeah, there we go. <laughs> what's obedience got to do with it? You know, what's love got to do with it? Uh, what, what, was, what was last time? What's um, holiness. holiness got to do with it? Mine just went there from senior moment. Um, what's obedience got to do with it? And I, I told you last week, this was a hard one for me in 20-some years of trying to understand Christianity and where does, does uh, faith and grace and works and, and then knowing God, all, how does it all work together? Because obedience is something I think we just misunderstand. And so Paul, in this part of the letter, and, and let, me, let me read it to you. It's actually kind of funny, sort of. Um, if we get this far, we'll see. Eight verses. No, six verses. So starting in verse 3 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, as Paul has been talking to them and mainly encouraging them to this point. I mean, he's literally saying, you guys are kind of superstars in, in the world of, of Christian churches out there, and, and your reputation is going all over, and I came and I planted the word, and, it, and God grew it in you, and man, I'm just so encouraged. And I can, I can really relate with Paul on that one to say, you know, gosh, we came and we, and we, and we suffered for you and we, we sacrificed our time and energy and look at how God is growing you and how encouraging that must have been to him and to see, because uh, he, he wanted to go back, but he didn't then, and I'm not sure he ever made it back, but, but he heard about him and it was so encouraging to him, I'm sure. But then he has to say, you know what? Um, there's other things. I, I, I need to caution you about stuff. And so this is a Roman culture, and the, he, he knows that this is very pagan, and, and, and they, they're, they're into idol worship, and they're very carnal, and sexual immorality is a big problem. Or maybe they didn't think it was a problem. They just thought, hey, it's cool. In fact, a lot of the pagan rituals and the gods that they worshipped included some sort of sexual act as part of their worship. And, and so he recognizes that, that this is an issue in the culture, and, and we saw and we see, if we read Corinthians, how he had to address them specifically in the church that that stuff was leaking in. And so he starts out to say, okay, we got some, I got to give you some hints on obedience to God's principles about this particular subject. So let me read the passage for you real quick. I didn't ask anybody else to do it because I was afraid they might get embarrassed. Um, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles do who don't know God, 
that no one transgresses or wrongs his brother in this way because the Lord is an avenger of all of these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not just man but God as well who gives us his Holy Spirit. Um, so he's talking to them about this and this specific thing in mind, but once again... <clears throat> The, the whole obedience thing, I want to talk to you about that a little bit just to make sure that we're understanding this. And, and, and I know, I think I mentioned it last time, that, that maybe not all Christians would agree with my view of it, but, but I, believe it's, I believe it is a correct view. I really prayed about this and, and talked to God and, and sought his wisdom in his word. Let's, let's think about it in context of God. You know, my statement was, and I used to, I remember teaching it back in Sunday school when I was teaching Sunday school, adult Sunday school years ago. You know, this, is, this is the essence of Christianity, knowing who God is and understanding his attributes and then finding the correct correspondence between faith and grace and works. And, and, and so I, I spent a lot of time on those. So, so let's look at God, and he is this ultimately holy being, and I can guarantee you, you have no concept of what that really means. God says, and I said this probably last week, that my holiness is so overwhelming, so great, it would kill you if you were exposed to it without shielding from it. Okay, so God, looking down, and he created this Thing, this race of people, and he created them in his own image. And because he created them in his own image, we have these capabilities to do things, be creative and, and do stuff because we're, we're like God in that, and we, in that way. We have a will and we have a mind and we can be very determined and we can make things and we can destroy things and, and we start to get really full of ourselves. And God says, I don't think you guys understand my holiness. Here I am. I, I created you for a relationship with me, to be intimate with me, so that you could, because I have everything that you need. I, I am the source of all the things that you, I created you to need. And then so, so when this unholiness happened, this, this, this thing that was unclean, when you were, were broken, it separated you from all of the things that you need to be satisfied and find joy and find peace in your life. And, and this, so, so I'm going to have to go to extraordinary efforts to make this thing work so that we can be in relationship with one another again. And, and because your brokenness leads you towards wanting to be in control and, and, and wanting to think you can do stuff on your own, and again, that was kind of part of my original design was to create you like me. And so you have these things, but now instead of being turned towards me and towards the places I want them to be, they're, they're turned inward, and now you think you can be God. And you don't understand what that means when you're trying to be in relationship that you so desperately need that you probably don't even recognize this holiness thing is a problem for you, and it cost me dearly to find this way of dealing with it. 
So I had to, I had to die. I had to send my son as a man, this, this part of the Trinity that's been there forever that is God, and I had to send him to earth, and he had to die. And he had to not only die physically, but he had to take the sins of all mankind onto him, and he who knew no sin had to become sin so that I could create a way so that you could have a pathway back to relationship with me, the thing that you desperately need and don't even recognize. In fact, you hate me, most of you. All of you hate me. Without my help, you hate me. Do you understand? So here's the thing. Now I'm going to have a relationship with you, and just like a parent we would be today, I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to be more like me. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. And so part of that is I have to let you know the things that please me and the things that are taking you away from me, things that are hurting you, just like this down here. So I'm going to give you those things, and I'm going to call them in the Bible, and some are going to be called commands. And, and just like, now, how about you? Did you have rules for your kids? How many of you had rules for your kids? Okay, you did. How many of your kids broke the rules? Yes, all of them did, as we did too. Did you put rules in your kids' life to shame them, make them feel guilty, make them feel less than, make them dom or, or, or subordinate to you uh, so you could dominate over them? Or did you give them these rules for their own good because you love them? Yes. Because you just want them to be happy and healthy and, and be functioning adults. And so you give them these things and they're, we call them commands. And, and yeah, man, I took some pretty drastic measures when some of them were broken. So does God. But, but see, he's even more loving than me. And, and so I thought about this. And I thought, what's another illustration? And, and it's okay. If, if, my son wanted to follow my steps as a cabinet maker, uh, which friends don't let friends do woodworking for a living. Okay, don't do that. But um, nonetheless, he wanted to do it. And so I, I, I made him kind of my apprentice, and he followed me around. And, and, and so I was teaching him things and seeing him grow. But what I couldn't do was to give him part of me inside you here. Let me give you part of me because I already know all the stuff you probably need to know. But God does that. He has his Holy Spirit. He says, I love you so much. Not only am I going to give you the rules, the parameters, the guardrails, I'm going to put myself in you to make you like me. But you guys are so stubborn and hard-headed. I don't know how God worked all this out or why, but he starts out, okay, I'm going to give you this system of justice called the law. We've been, you know, talking about it in Sunday school downstairs. Great. It's a great opportunity to see how it works out when we are under God's system of justice. Ooh. Ooh. God is saying, look, you guys are so stubborn, you're so self-centered, you so want to be in control of everything, I have to show you that that's never going to work. So I'm going to give you this thing called the law, and it's going to be a bunch of rules. I mean a bunch. And you are so into yourselves that you're going to add a whole bunch more because you want to be in control of even the rules part. Then I'm going to show you how never, ever, ever can you be faithful to the rules. 
And so we see that in the Old Testament. We see these things and we get fixated on the commandments back when they were under the system of law, which was obedience and then sacrifice when they didn't make it, when they couldn't do it. But, but then we think, yeah, see, it's all about the rules. And that's what they would do. And even in Jesus' day, he saved his most stinging condemnation for those Pharisees that we're trying to be self-righteous. And, and so Christianity, as we Christians, we can do that. We can get fixated on the rules, thinking that that's the point. And it is in its relationship with God. But he knows that without rules, you'll sin more. And I want you to become aware of it. And Paul says, yeah, yeah, before the, the law, I didn't know what sin was. Now, it's, now I'm sinning all the time because there's more rules and I know the rules. But God, but I have a solution. God says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and change you. But we get fixated on the rules. And we think Christianity is somehow about moralism. Now, are, 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 is sin bad? It's absolutely bad. Bad, bad, bad. But God died for it for you. But he knows that it affects you on a day-to-day -day basis and it, it, it dis disrupts that intimacy in the relationship. So he knows it's bad for you. He fixed it for him by dying for him. He took care of sin. Those that are under the, the, the protection of God, all their sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. Those other ones are going to see God's wrath and his justice for eternity. Okay, so... He's fixed the sin problem for you, but it's still a problem for you now, in this life, in this time, for this time, until he comes back and com cleans house, completely fixes you. But for now, there needs to be these rules. You know, when you die or when Jesus returns, there's going to be no more rules for you to follow. You'll just know. You'll just be that way. But for now, we need rules. But we need rules, but we have to understand it's not about the rules. It's about God. And it's about relationship. And God knows that our sins separate us in a practical day-to-day -day way from him in the intimacy that he wants for us. So, so I'm going to give you rules, and I'm going to be very specific. But I want you to understand, it is not about rule following. That's what happens when you're transformed. You're going to start wanting the things I want. You're going to start hating the things I hate. And you're going to start behaving more like me. And sure enough, you'll see less sin and, and you'll find yourself conforming to the rules, knowing that they're there as a gift from God to give you boundaries. Okay, so I don't want to be this guy that stands up here and says, because this one's a bad one, this is a bad one. We're going to see how bad it is. But just say, you know, it's all about the rules, and, and Paul needs to get into that, and you'll see. He goes into it a lot. God loves us and wants what's best for us. His will is that we be re reconciled, saved, and then transformed, sanctified, made holy and pure like God, back to the original design, for the purpose of his glory and our good so that we can have intimacy with him. God would have us to live and do things his way, not our way. So these rules outline God's way of thinking and doing and behaving instead of our way. 
And, and so there's the, the, there's the do this and the don't do this. And it is don't do it your way and do it my way. And God has a way for every single area of our lives, every single one. God has a way, and it's almost always contrary to the way we want to do it. He gives us these gifts to ex- so that we can experience change. He gives us those things. We talk about it. John talked about it. Um, he gives us his word. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us one another so that we can be transformed in community. And then he gives us trials, which are his tool as he shapes the clay into the vessel that he wants it to be. But God does want us to know. He wants us to know what his way is. And so he gives us in his word these areas of scripture that say this is the new you behavior and this is the old you behavior. Don't fixate on the behaviors, but understand these are here so you can recognize sin when you see it, ask for forgiveness, surrender it to me, and I'll change it. That's why they're there. He wants us to know that sexual immorality is not his plan for doing things. So he explains it to us in his word a lot. So that's what he's doing in this passage. He's giving us his plan for human beings. Now, I I, I would so sincerely love to deviate from this a little bit. And and, and I'm going to throw in some other things because they're so big right now. God has a plan outlined in his word for sexuality, for identity, and for marriage. Very clear. It's very clear in his word. And yet we see the church struggling with those areas as they compromise to accommodate culture. God is very clear about those three areas, your sexuality, your identity, and marriage. And we think, because we're broken, that we can rewrite the rules so that we can accommodate our own sinful behavior. It's important for us to do all areas of our lives God way. There's no room for compromise, especially in these areas right here, Violators, it says, we're going to see who are non-believers are going to face God's wrath over it. Violators of these things as sexuality, identity, and marriage in believers are going to face God's discipline, and it won't be fun. God advocates, it says in this passage, for those who are being taken advantage in a sexual way. And that if you disregard God's plan for that area of your life, there's going to be consequences. And we're going to see how serious those consequences are as we go through this, then it says, you know, if, you are, if, you're, if you're saying, I'm going to compromise in this area, it says not only, you're not just disregarding man, you are disregarding truth and you are disregarding God. God makes it very plain that there is no room for compromise in our sexual relationships with one another. Okay? And that there are consequences. So the passage actually breaks down into two, and that's why I'm thinking, I'm probably only going to get through the first half of this. Two kind of parts. Verses 3 through 5 talk about defining the rules in a little bit specifically about what is he talking about when he says sexual immorality. And then the second part of this passage, verses 6 through 8, 
talks about the implications of not doing it God's way, and then some really other significant spiritual truths about who gets to make the rules and what the consequences are when you don't follow them. Okay, so we're probably only going to get through the first part. So verses 3 through 8. For this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain there means to hold yourself back away from. And sexual immorality, you'll recognize this root in the Greek, is pornea. Hmm, where have I heard that before? And so it actually means in this particular context, harlotry, fornication, and adultery. But we will see in other passages of Scripture, many others, that it, it, it includes everything that is an impure thought or deed regarding your sexuality. <clears throat> Verse 4. Each one of you ought to know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. So control there means to possess or acquire. It's the word kataamahi. And then here's, the, here's one that's actually kind of... Um, there, 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 the next word is vessel, or, uh, or your body. I'm sorry, it's body. Skyuos in the Greek, which means vessel or equipment or container. And so this verse, some of the commentators said, this might be one of the hardest verses to correctly interpret. Um, that word vessel can mean your body. It can also mean your male sexual organ, or it can mean your wife. As he says, you know, the wife is the weaker vessel. And so some, some theologians are taking this to say what it's really saying is don't take your wife in an inappropriate way because in that culture they were wife swapping and there was a lot of adultery and a very open sexual uh, environment. And they're saying so when you take a wife you have to understand the holiness of that institution that I created and therefore when you violate that it's a big, big problem for you. So, but, but I believe, actually, that the, the interpretation is that it just includes sexual immorality in general. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. And that holiness is the word we hagiosmos, purity or sanctification. And then honor, which is actually an interesting word, tame in the Greek, which means precious, or a high price paid, or a high value given. So he's saying, you need to control yourself, recognizing that a high price was paid for this, for you, in honor. I am honoring the value of sexual purity. Not in passionate lust, like the Gentiles who don't know God. And passion would be this lustful affection, uh, and, and lust would be forbidden desires. And so basically saying, look, you are somebody new now, and in this area of your life, you need to find that control and not give in to the fleshly nature that desires to passionately and emotionally and physically Think incorrectly about this institution of sexuality that I gave you. So that's what it's saying. And God talks about this one a lot. I'm not going to read them all because we would be here 
a long time. But let me give you some scriptures. Romans 1, 24-29, talking about uh, the, the, when, when they didn't recognize God from the creation, how He gave them over to, to improper lusting for one another and basically homosexuality. And then in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, Colossians 3, 5 through 6, Hebrews 13, 4, 2 Peter 2, 9 and 10, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Galatians 5, 16, Matthew 5, 32, Acts 15, 29, Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus 20, verses 10 through 21. Now, why did I say all those? Just to let you know that the Bible is very clear and specific and places a big emphasis on obedience in this particular area of your life. Why is that? In fact, it even says in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, even if you think about having adultery or having illicit sex, that you, just, you don't even have to do it now. Thinking about it is bad enough. You've committed adultery in your heart. So where do we stand? Why is it that God has so much emphasis on this particular area of sin in our lives? Let's take a look. Okay, it says in Ephesians 5.3, there can't even be a hint. It says, it says in the NIV, not even a hint of sexual immorality. And in that, in that particular verse, the sexual immorality is three different Greek words. Three different Greek words. And they are for harlotry, physical impurity, and covetousness. Looking at someone wishing, I, I'd like some of that. Not even a hint. This must be serious, folks. This must be really serious if God is this specific and talks about it this much and says, I don't even want a teeny bit infecting you. So in Corinthians 6, 12 through 14, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So he created you for relationship with him. He gave us the sexual relationship. Now, divert a little bit. See, I think one of the reasons why God finds this so destructive and why we find it so destructive is he gave us the institution of marriage, I believe, and Rules about our sexuality because he created those two things so that we might taste intimacy here with another human that is a model or a type of the intimacy we will eventually have with God. And a man shall leave his wife and they will come together and the two will become one flesh. That's what God wants for you with him. And so I'm going to give you this marriage thing and I'm going to say, look, you can experience a little bit of what intimacy is like with another human being that I'm going to give you when it's all said and done and I come back and, and fix everything that's broken. You guys are going to be intimate with each other and you're going to be intimate with me. But I'm going to give you this little sign and then I'm going to give you this physical union as a symbol of intimacy between two human beings, and that belongs to me. 
And then we take it and we pervert it and we use it for something trashy. Both the marriage thing and the sexual thing. And God says, no, I gave you those as a gift, as a symbol of my love for you, of how I'm going to take you and make you into one thing with me and others. And you're using it without thinking about it. And you're using it for your own pleasures. And you're perverting it. And it's killing you. I don't want that for you. And so he says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise you up. And so in the end he's saying, look, I am going to fix this. I raised up Jesus. I'm going to raise you up to righteous and holy with the imputed righteousness of Christ. But for right now, you've got to understand this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Understand your body no longer belongs to you, that it belongs to Christ Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them one with a prostitute? Or am I going to pervert that sexual relationship either in my mind or in my behaviors? And I'm actually going to take this thing that's pure and holy and join it with something that's dirty and filthy? And he talks about even though it was about being unequally yoked. You know, they're, they're, the light has no place with darkness and righteousness has no place with sin. We are in different worlds now. You are dipping your toe back into the world that I pulled you out of when you violate God's sexual rules. He knows it's horrible for you. That's why He gave them to you. Not to shame you. Not to trip you up. Not to make you feel guilty. He gave them to you because He knows how hard it is to be faithful in this one. But He wants what's best for our lives. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one in body with her? For as it is written, the two should become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one with him. And so God says, no, again, I want you to be one with me. And when you're doing this, you are taking the part that belongs to me and throwing it to the pigs. Flee then from sexual immorality, for every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality, person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So he's saying, look, this is a specially heinous sin. All other sins are outside the body, but this one you are bringing into yourself, into your flesh, and you are inviting in evil into the temple of my Holy Spirit. This is serious. And we, as a culture, have decided to make it to mean nothing. As long as two consenting adults, that's all that matters. You can do whatever you want. In fact, we're going to promote it, mainly because it makes money. But, but we're going to rewrite the rules, totally. That we can say, we are going to determine what the sexual norms are for us to adhere to. And basically, in our culture today, it's anything goes. There's a consequence to violating God's plan for your sexuality, for your identity, 
and for the institution of marriage. We're going to see now next week <laughs> what the consequences are and, and these, this whole concept of who gets to make the rules and why and what happens when we decide that we're going to do it our way. But today, recognize that God understands that this is a hard one. You don't have to go anywhere. You can sit in your own room and sexually sin. It's right there. It's more prevalent in our culture now. We have sexualized everything from breakfast cereal to automobiles. Just look at the ads. As far as I know, there's no lying hormone. But your physical body is warring against you in this area. And you think, well, God, why did you make me this? Why, why, why did you give me all these hormones? Why did you give me all these desires? Well, he not only gave them to you, but he gave you a way of finding victory over it. And you have to take it to God, put it at the foot of the cross, put it on the altar of sacrifice, and say, God, I can't do this on my own. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What is that way of escape? Sacrifice, confession, reliance on God's Holy Spirit. God give me, and you have already given me with your Holy Spirit, that gift of self-control, the fruit of your Holy Spirit, self-control. But this is a strong one, God, and it's all around me, and I'm seeing it every day, and I'm tempted, and I'm tempted, and I'm tempted. I don't even have to actually do it. I just have to think about it. And the penalty for even thinking about it wrecks my relationship in a practical way with you, and it is so easy to give in. No temptation has overtaken you that except that which is common to man. God knows this is a hard one for us as people. The answer is this, to give it to God. Next week, we're going to talk about, in verses um, 6, 7, and 8, what the consequences are and how serious they are when we violate this. But also, in the end, we're going to look at some very encouraging things about God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for... All of the gifts that you gave us. You made us like you. And one of those things was, okay, you're going to give us the ability to procreate. You're going to give us these feelings. You're going to give us this gift of intimacy, physical intimacy. You're going to give us this gift of intimacy with others in the institution of marriage. And we've taken and broken them and walked on them and stomped on them all. And yet you still love us. And, and you want what's best for us. And so you correct us and you give us consequences. Thank you for those. But Lord, we would just pray that, that, number one, we would find ways to not fall into this temptation, but also thank you that you opened the door for our forgiveness and for our res restoration. Lord, help us to be faithful in this area of our lives in a culture that is so overtly sexualized. 
Lord, we need your Holy Spirit's help in this, and we need to put this problem on your altar every day. And we just thank you and praise you that you're willing to help us in this area, and we just thank you for what you're going to do in us and through us. In the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.